bendecir y todo eso. Our scripture reading this morning will be from 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 18 through 20. 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 18 through 20. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in person, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Morning. So thankful that you are here today. Thank you for being here as we have joined together to to worship together. Uh, As we come together, it's been a blessing to be able to share all these announcements of good news. Uh, it's, uh, it's neat when we go through and we think about that we have seen, uh, God answer prayers. Uh, I, we have, uh, this congregation, we've had several people lose loved ones over the past few weeks and again this week. And this congregation has definitely mourned with those who mourn. Isn't it awesome to be able to celebrate and rejoice with those who rejoice? So thankful Santino's children are coming here and thankful for that answered prayer. So many have been praying about that. We're thankful for that great reunion that will take place this next week. And we want to thank God and praise Him for that. Also, I'm excited about the hire of uh, Brian LeMasters. Brian is an excellent young man. I've known him for a long time. Some of you, uh, West Tech Youth Camp, I know this congregation goes there. Brian was a lifeguard there for a few years uh, while he was in college. So you may have met him there. But the job of discipleship is to draw people closer to Christ who are Christians and help unchristians, non-Christians learn and uh, come to Christ. And I'm thankful for our focus in that. I think it will be a great blessing. Also, today is our family day. And I hope that uh, uh, you will be a part of that as we come back this afternoon at 1 o'clock to worship again. And then after that, we have an afternoon full of activities that I hope that you will choose to be a part of. I'm thankful for our elders' leadership, and I think that is where we see the discipleship minister come from. We see some other things that are are happening this Friday night and Saturday morning. uh, The elders and the ministers are meeting together uh, for a leadership retreat. Many years ago, this congregation came together with a 2020 vision, and it was things they wanted to accomplish by 2020. That took place by prayer and by planning, and guess what? Next year is what? 2020. I don't think we want 2040 vision. That sounds backwards. I think your vision's worth seeing. I don't know what we'll call the next phase in that. But I know this. We're, we're going to meet together, and I want you to pray for us this week as we start thinking about what are some different things that this congregation can be doing to continue to reach lost people here in this area, also to uh, help each of us grow closer to Christ and to help each one of you walk closer with Christ. Uh, Pray that we dream big, we have a big God, and this Friday night and Saturday, as I said, the elders and the ministers will be meeting. I want to ask you that you pray about that each day this week, and pray that wonderful things come from that. Let's go to God in prayer as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, you bless us incredibly, and we think today of how you have blessed us so very, very much. Lord, we know that there are those who are hurting today. We pray that you will be with Cindy Kirby and know that there is a pain 
and sorrow there. Lord, we pray that you will, you will bless them and comfort them, but Lord, we pray that today we will see you, that we will be in awe of you, and being in awe of you will, will help us and lead us to worship and to serve you each and every day. Lord, help us this morning to see you clearly. In Christ, only pray. Amen. Last year, uh, Brianna and I uh, went to see the Ark Encounter. I know there's different ones in here who've driven up to, uh, uh, I believe it's Dry Springs, Kentucky, uh, to, to see that, and it is incredible. It's just a beautiful thing. When you get there on the property, you park, seems like forever away, and they put you on the bus, and, and you start driving, and even though it's probably maybe less than a mile, you come up and you see the ark that was put together based on the dimensions given out in Scripture, and, and also there's some things that they have done that, that they believe was necessary inside the ark because there was details that God did not, did not give us. And when you get there, you just look, and, and I will tell you, it's not like you go, oh, there's an ark over there, and you keep on walking. When you see it, it's just a moment of awe. To just think about that and see that and, and think about not only how incredible was it that they made that in Kentucky, that it was rebuilt to all these specifications there, but that a man several thousand years ago built this. It leads to a lot of questions. I'm a questioning person, and when I see that, uh, I sit there and go, wow, we're, we're, we're looking here at this ark. I, I start thinking different questions. And, and, you know, where did all the wood come from? How did he collect the animals? You know, you start thinking about these things. Why did snakes get on the ark? Why were they allowed? You ever thought that one? Mosquitoes? I mean, however that works. I mean, spiders. There's things I go, I'm sure they're good for the ecosystem, but couldn't we just left them pre-flood and left them in the antediluvian period and let them be gone forever? But God has a purpose for them usually to scare us. And I sit there and, and think about those things. But I'm going to tell you one of the big questions that comes to mind when I see the ark. Why did he build it? Why did Noah build an ark? You know, it, you, you've got to remember, this is a time Noah does not have written down instructions from God. It's not like there is the, 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 uh, the, the, the church of God there where he lives, that he can go worship every Sunday. There are no written instructions. We don't have any uh, evidence that God has, has, has sat down and given written instruction before this. Why would Noah build an ark? The audience, I, I, the, 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 the answer I have heard for a lot of my life is because God told him to. We have, have a song to it, just like God told him to. Why did he build the ark? He built it because God told him to. Yeah, but why did God tell him to? Why would he devote a hundred years of his life to, to building this ark and, and to doing this in a time where we are told that it had never rained before in a place where there are boats not close around? Why would he do that? So we could speculate for, for a while about why he did that, why he took the time and, and built this huge boat. Or we can look in the Bible because they tell us. See, I think one of the things that happens is when we read certain verses over and over again, uh, they say familiarity breeds contempt. I believe that familiarity actually breeds infamiliarity. You sort of read it and you sort of skip over some of the stuff you assume. But let's look where the Bible clearly tells us why he built the ark. 
Hebrews 11 verse 7 says this, By faith Noah, being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household, of his family. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes from faith. Do you see it? God lays out why he built this ark. Noah built the ark to save his family. That explains to me why he would work so hard. Why he would want to build something. It's one thing, uh, even though the, the same level of pride should be there, it's one thing to build something for somebody else or fix something for some, somebody else, but something else to build something that is going to lead to the saving of your family. See, that is, that is what he did. And, and the thing is, when we see this great love, the, the question that comes to me next is, uh, I'll look and see that, that Noah, his faith impacted his children. And it led to their salvation. Why? Because Noah had three children, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and they all got onto the ark with him. Then God closed the door. See, my, my question is, would your children follow you into the ark? That's a big question. Would my children, would your children follow you into the ark? And you're saying they may not, but I'll get them on there one way or the other. This picture was taken at an airport in Washington State. This man was traveling with uh, his two daughters, one who is in the four-year-old range and one who is in the seven- or eight-year-old range. The three- to four-year-old was having a meltdown, and he was going to miss his plane. They were all going to miss their flight, and she just wasn't having it. He tried to pick her up. She followed him, everything else. Finally, he just grabbed the hood, and the floors had just been waxed, and she just slid very, very easily to the next uh, to, to the gate where they could go. See, it's one thing to look at this and to see a dad who is struggling. Also, I laugh because the bigger picture, the other daughter is a few steps behind, and she has learned. She has her suitcase. She is walking. Why? She's seen what happens if you have a fit. <laughs> Noah didn't have to drag his kids on the ark. See, they were adult children, old enough to be married. They all had wives, and not only them, but their wives followed them onto the ark. You sit there and look, and, and, and you go, wow, this is so hard, because any time a preacher begins to preach on parenting, parents, a lot of times, go ahead and bring out their belt and start beating themselves. They do. They start flogging themselves. They start going through and feeling like how I failed and all, all these things. And, and that is not the purpose. I know that, that there are those who do that and there's those who don't care. You, you run that gamut. But there are a lot who care deeply and want to do the best. And many times they feel like they're failing. And parenting is hard. You're like, Craig, what do you know? You've been at this about nine weeks. Okay. The first nine weeks are not exactly easy. Would y'all agree with that? Okay. But it's not just that. I did youth ministry for about 12 years. Uh, taught school uh, before that. Have been in ministry a little over 20 years. Have worked in school systems, have done a lot, and have been around a ton of kids. And there are incredible challenges to parenting. And one of the reasons parenting is very, very difficult is a thing called free will. 
God gave all of us an ability to choose, and, and we can choose to do what's right or choose to do what's wrong. And I know parents want to beat themselves up, but listen, nobody in the world has more disobedient children than God. There are plenty of people who choose to do something else. Even though he is the perfect parent, he, he has given us all we need. There are people who turn their back on them. So children can choose to do what they want to as they grow up. And we look at this and we think about this. This is a, a story that I saw on Facebook. It's a friend of mine. She posted this a few years ago. And I asked her permission to use it, and she gave me permission. She said, tonight my five-year-old threw the absolute biggest temper tantrum I have ever seen. Nothing I could uh, have done could make him snap out of it. I talked calmly the entire time, which is a struggle for me, but the words he said to me and the way he screamed at me hurt my heart. Being a parent is hard, and I have really struggled lately, but nothing has been as hard as tonight when my five-year-old actually made me cry. Times like these make me feel like a failure as a mom. I try to do and say the right things, but I feel as, I, as though I was always falling short. Can I tell you that there were comment after comment after this, many of them telling her what she should have done. Okay, my favorite was this. Somebody who sells essential oils was like, if you just put a little lavender behind his ears. <laughs> I believe in essential oils. WD-40 will fix just about anything. It, it really will. Um and I do use some of the holes sometimes. Sometimes you try everything you know and nothing works. And so what was this parent doing? It was they, they, they were just trying to get some empathy, I think, and just vent. They didn't want to go back and yell at their kid. They, they wanted to vent to, to other people and really just share that and be vulnerable with people. I find this to be the case. is parenting where everyone knows more about how to raise your children than you, and they're not afraid to tell you. And that is something that was, that was happening. And, and when you think about it, today's lesson is not about trying to beat somebody up and really just wear somebody out. It's not about that. It's really to encourage and empower you in parenting. It's, I, what I want you to know is that you have great influence on whether your children remain faithful or not. You don't have control over it. But you have influence. See, if I were to ask you today who has the greatest influence on whether your children are faithful or not and who has the greatest influence on your kids, many people would say their friends, their, their youth ministers, coaches, whatever else. The, the list goes on and on. We talk about the term peer pressure, and, and that is something that we want our kids to have really good friends, friends who, who, who love God, friends who are positive. We want that to be the case. But many times I think that we feel that everyone else has a greater influence on our children than we do. Can I tell you, research has shown over and over again that is not the case. There's been a study that was done, and uh, the, the study was done in a presentation uh, that was uh, presented at Yale Divinity School uh, about two years, two years ago by a guy named Christian Smith. And here's what he said. He said, the number one, the number one reason teams keep the faith as young adults, because that's the goal, right? Not only as young adults, but we want to see our teenagers grow up. And teenagers, unless they pass away, will become adults. And we want them to carry their faith through life. See, the goal of a parent, hopefully, and of a church is not just that everybody's baptized before they get out of high school. What is it that they have a life-sustaining faith 
that grows as they get older and matures and will last them until the Lord returns or they pass away. That should be the goal of our faith, to instill faith, to to influence them. And, And here is what they have found out in this study. I love it. It said, the holy grail for helping youth remain religiously active as young adults has been at home all along as parents. Mothers and fathers who practice what they preach and preach what they practice are far and away the major influence related to adolescents keeping the faith into their 20s. According to the new findings from Landmark Study of Youth and Religion, it says the number one thing that would determine if when your children get out of college or trade school or whatever it is that they're doing into their 20s or they'll be faithful is if you're faithful. That's sort of the number one thing. And we see that, that, that sort of the opposite of this. They said, you know what? That, first of all, that's great news. It's great news that you have influence. Influence is a big deal. That means you can help to guide. That means you can help pull somebody closer. You have a great ability and responsibility to make a difference on the spiritual life of someone else. The study also said that just 1% of teens aged 15 to 17 raised by parents who do what? who attach little importance to religion, were highly religious in their mid to late 20s. I'm not sure you needed to say this. I think it sort of goes without saying. But what it says is, if you have parents who are nominal Christians, in other words, in name only, and it's not important, don't expect your children to be faithful the rest of their life. The Babylon Bee is a satirical website, and they... Well, a lot of times reading it is actually better than reading the news because it seems more true. Even though it's set up to be fake, everything else. And one of the articles that hit me was this. It said, after 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents are shocked by their daughter's lack of faith. Now, this was written tongue-in-cheek, but it's about as true as you, you find. Parents are shocked when they take their children to, to worship four times a year that when they get into adulthood, they're not faithful. And it may be more than four times a year. We come together somewhere uh, around, uh, if you count Sunday school on Sunday morning, sometimes around 200 times a year. And they're, they're wondering why that little bit of faith did not stick. It said here, in contrast, this is back to the truth. We just left the Babylon Bee, went back to truth. It said 82% of children raised by parents who talked about faith at home attached great importance to their beliefs and were active in their congregations were themselves religiously active as young adults according to the data in the latest wave of the National Study of Youth and Religion. In other words, the parents who make faith priority, not in just how they speak, but how they live and how they act and how they serve, that it is going to influence your children to more closely walk with God. Many times we think about the way our kids are going to be faithful is with a really good youth ministry. The way our faithful is going to be our service projects or religious schools. All these things, I think they do help. I think they're great. They said they pale in comparison to what? Nothing comes close to parents. That's it. Parents, you make a difference. I think if you're a parent and you're here, you're especially blessed to have the children's program, to have the youth program, to have adults here who, who care about kids. Yesterday, there was a middle school fishing rodeo. You know how it was, 
how much a success it was. Nobody went to the ER. Nobody got hooked. Nobody drowned. It was a great day. It really was. It's actually greater than that. Everybody that went caught a fish. That's really good. But I'm going to tell you, several adults in this congregation gave their afternoons to mentoring kids. I mean, that, that's, that's incredible. That's something that we want to see. That is something. Then they come together at the, at the end and, and have a devotional and some time together. And those are the things you want. But I'll tell you, not if we had a fishing rodeo every Saturday, well, I want to be a part of that church. But, okay, if we had a fishing rodeo every Saturday, that can't make a bigger difference than the life of a parent. Parents have great influence and responsibility. So that brings us back to the ark, and, and, and the thing is, when I think about it, what did Noah do to influence his children to follow him inside the ark? What is it that he did to help them? And I'm going to tell you, I think there's a few things just, just, just from the outside looking in, reading through the Bible, I, I think that are helpful to me. One, his faith was obvious. His faith was obvious, and, and we read this, look at the time this was written, Okay. This is a, the, the way the world is described. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thought of uh, every every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil. Think about that for a second. When God looked down at the world, he said, Mankind is ruined. All they think about is evil things. This is not the news from this morning. Every generation believes their generation is the worst. It's never been more evil. People have never been more rebellious, whatever it is. Can, can I tell you that this generation here was so bad that God said, I just want to wipe them off the earth and start over. That's how much they focused on evil. That's how little potential there was for good. He said, and the Lord regretted he had made man on earth and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man who I have created from the face of the earth, man and animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. What a big statement. But in the middle of this, him saying how bad things are here on earth, he said, and Noah found grace and favor in the eyes of the Lord. See, Noah's faith was obvious. When God looked at the earth, he's like, man, look how bad all this other is. But there's Noah. Noah is different. His faith is obvious. And the writer goes on to say, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. No one walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We, we see here, he tells us how he is different. He said he, he's different because he is righteous. It's the first time that word is used in Scripture. It's used throughout Scripture. That's the first time. Righteous means he has great moral conduct. He's upright. He met God's standard. That's what the word means. I have to know, how did he even know what standard to live by? He know, knew there was a God by creation, saw there was a God, and lived as though there was a God. It says that, that he was also someone who was blameless in his generation. That means he was faithful. He had purity. He was different than the world. And what we have to remember is Noah wasn't given a promise of heaven. 
In fact, I don't know what his motivation was, but it wasn't heaven-based. You know, we, we don't see that with Noah. I don't see that Noah was faithful to God and he was blameless on earth. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord because he knew if he lived really good, he'd get to go to heaven. He recognized who God was and was faithful to him. It also says that he walked with God. It's only said about Noah and Enoch. That is a reliant, consistent relationship. See, his faith was obvious. God saw his faith. And not only did God see his faith, his children saw it too. I know many of you in this audience love your children, all of you, and you want your children to go to heaven. And you may be thinking sometimes, you know what? None of this, I'm not sure what I'm doing matters. Can I tell you it matters? Your children see the difference that you're making. They see that you are doing something different. Your children see it too. His faith was obvious. Secondly, his faith was living. It was just not a, these two things sort of go hand in hand. His faith was obvious to God, obvious to his children, and his faith was something that you could see and the world could see it. We're told that without faith, Hebrews 11, 6, it is impossible to please him. Because uh, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who do what? Earnestly or diligently seek him. The next verse, by faith Noah doing what? By warned of things and the current concerning events of things to come, he prepared an ark. His faith lead him to build. His faith led him to build. And for us, I think we have to realize that our faith must lead us to action. He didn't just say, well, I believe there's a God, but I'm just going to let that be a mental belief. It's not going to change how I live. It changed how he lived. And you may say, well, how can you tell that Noah had faith? Well, there was a big boat in his backyard. Every tree he cut down, every can or five-gallon bucket, whatever he had. I know he didn't have gallons, okay, of pitch he mixed up. Every nail, every animal, all those things showed his faith. Everything he did showed that he had faith. It was evident to them. And not only that, one of the things that stands out to me so much is Noah's faith was consistent. It wasn't just circumstantial. Sometimes we have a circumstantial faith. You know, it's, it's a faith where, where it's like, oh, I'm going to be strong right here, and, and then I'm just sort of, I'm going to be really strong on these issues, but it's not going to affect how I live day in and day out. It's not going not to do that. His faith was what? Constant. We have the saying, uh, and you hear what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and, and also Vegas is referred to as, a, as Sin City. And what, what is basically said is the rules don't matter there. You can live anywhere. You, you live how you want to where you live, but when you come here, that doesn't translate back. Can I tell you, that is inconsistent living. And, and the thing is, that may be some people say, I live a certain way at church, but at work I'm very, very different. See, when I think of Noah, I think of someone who, who must have been consistent day in and day out. The world was wicked, and he was someone who was different. 
One of my favorite books and movies is To Kill Markenberg by Harper Lee. I could think Atticus Finch is one of the greatest characters ever written about or even portrayed. And one of the great statements about him was Atticus Finch is the same in his house as he is on the public streets. See, I think that makes a difference faith-wise. If, if we are different at home than we are outside, think, think of how that changes our kids. I talked to a son of a minister not long ago. And as I was talking to him about uh, his relationship with his dad and, and different stuff, he said, he said, Craig, the, the guy that you saw outside that was jovial and kind and encouraging, it was like he spent all the energy he had there and had nothing for us when he came home. Can I tell you that affected the faith of his kids? It was not like a big immorality difference that, there, you know, he was immoral here. It, the fact that, that he uh, had time for everybody and not them, and I'm trying to learn some things so I don't repeat some things and carry that out. And I think about that, doing what? Being the same person outside the house as we are inside the house. He raised children during the worst environment on earth, so bad that the Lord wanted to destroy it, and his kids followed him on the ark. And then the question is, how do I raise faithful kids? And, and, and the, the thing is, what's the key to success? Well, Noah might say, well, 100 years of manual labor, that helps. As they had to build the ark together. I just bring them in, let them swing a hammer for 100 years, and they probably want to get on the boat with me. I've got some really good friends, and, and they have three faithful children. Their children are all now in their 20s and 30s. And people ask the kids all the time, and they asked the parents, how do you do that? How did you end up with, with faithful kids? How, how did you raise them and everything else? And I laugh because if you ask them, here's what the kids will tell you. The kids will tell you that uh, in our life that uh, uh, we got whipped every day and we had to quote Scripture to get food. They're lying, by the way, okay? <laughs> they, that was just their joke. We had to whip, get whipped every day and we had to memorize Scripture and quote it just to get food. That was not what happened. If you really ask them, their parents' faith was, live, was loving and living and genuine. And they included their kids in every aspect of serving people and doing things. What it takes in, in, is being a living sacrifice in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in what? As living sacrifices. To do what? In view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but do what? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That is, that is what He is saying, and that is what we saw. What would you do if you came to this light where the red and green were on at the same time? Have an accident, probably, right? Because I don't know about you, we know that red means what? Stop, and green means go. And when we see both of them at the same time, what it does to us is it gives us mixed signals. Can I tell you, if our faith is a circumstantial faith, then what we're telling our kids is, you know, we know this has come and that's go, 
for doing this. If your children never know whether you're going to worship or not, but you say that God and worship's important, that's this. If the way that you speak to your wife or to your husband and, and, and your children see that, but you say, hey, we, we, we love God, we love church, that's this. And kids struggle with that, so do adults for that matter. What do we want to do? We want to make sure that we give them clear signals, that we have a consistent faith that makes a difference. Noah's faith impacted his children, led to their salvation. Guess what? So can yours. It is something that can make all the difference in the world and make a difference in eternity. Parents, you have an incredible opportunity to make a eternal difference in the lives of your children. And you are, and I thank you for that. Realize that God is for you in this. God wants your children to be saved just as you do. And, and, and the thing is, I could do a whole other hour, two-hour lesson on what does the ark even mean. The ark in the Old Testament is the church in the New Testament. It's being in Christ. Those in the ark are saved. Those who are in Christ are saved. It's type and a type. Don't have type for time for all that typology today. But what do we want? We want everybody we can get in the ark. And realize that, parents, you can influence your children to get there. Today, how can we help you? Today, it may be the, the time that you need to put on Christ in baptism, and that would be absolutely amazing. Also, today may be a day that you want to ask the Lord for forgiveness, or you may just say, hey, Craig, I want this church family to surround me and for us to pray together. What we want and our goal is for everyone to be saved and to walk with God.